Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pache. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Thursday, November 2nd, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that webpage and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet, and it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Just click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again, absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. If you choose to do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, It will download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. Here at MindShifters Radio, we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because Active application of these tools in people's lives tends to improve their quality of life. And secondarily, because answers and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so. Give us a call. Send you... um, 
information about what day and time that happened so you can listen back to the archives for your feedback. And we're having weird things happen on the switchboard where people are dropping off and And I will. Hi, Dr. Tim. Can you hear me? Mm. If you're talking, I can't hear you, and that's what's been happening. You talk, and then suddenly it's silent, so I dialed back in. <clears throat> and now I can't hear you, so I'm going to dial back in again. again. Oh, there you go. I can hear you. Are you there? Nope. Okay, I'm going to dial back in. So we're trying this again. Can you hear me now? All right. I can hear you just now. You pressed, you opened my, I pressed one but heard nothing and now... You you pushed okay. one so, or opened my line and yeah okay. But you can hear me now. I can. Yep. Okay. Well, there there we go. So apparently, no one heard any of the intro or any of my brilliantly enlightening statements. <laughs> for the Actually, last, I did. I don't know. I heard a lot. What? I heard a lot. What? Of what, what, what? What were you hearing? Your intro. I have a okay, fun time. And then what Sometimes happened? I sort of, and then you dropped off, it, and I can't tell you exactly when, but it was after okay, well, that's, you that's said. Not, uh, that's not the issue. I'm just concerned about was it cutting in and out, or was it just nothing there? Well, it there was nothing there, and then it came back, and then disappeared again, and then I dialed back in. So okay, so how is it? How is it since this last time of me saying hello? It's it's good. So far, so okay. good. Okay, because we had two different people on the switchboard and just drop off and then come back on and then drop off. So <laughs> That's so, what we're welcome. doing. <laughs> we want to hear you. <laughs> okay, well, we're, we're back, and... Um, Good luck. I was just finishing the intro talking about how people can email if they have a comment or a question. And that's in all the shows. So, how are you? Do you have any topics you want to discuss or do you want to go back on mute and listen? (laughs) No, I, I hadn't planned to talk, but on the other hand, I have had a real shift since listening to the... Michael Singer uh, podcast, including the one where you jury-rigged yourself into it and went back and forth, which I thought is a great teaching tool. Uh, It's made all kinds of difference, and it isn't as if we haven't been taught how to observe feelings. I mean, the Walzak worksheet been saying do that, but somehow a combination of his light, funny, almost not taking himself seriously manner, his long exposition about 
how many things you can be feeling that everybody's feeling that are not so fun to feel, including himself, which I had totally missed the first time. I thought he was saying he had reached the state of bliss, and that was the end of that. (laughs) You know, I know, you know, what we do with what we hear, oh, my gosh. So I've been just stepping into that middle slot where I'm looking at it, I'm allowing it. It's so nice to be given permission to feel the feelings which can be powerful and yet be removed enough to breathe and to say and to feel that's the thing. I've been feeling the joy and you know that's I've been wanting that for a long time and I hesitate to say it because I've got all sorts of superstitions about jinxing myself but even today I mean Tim Billion will say how are you today and I say I'm I'm great I don't and I talk to my daughter and I say I'm great I'm thinking about everything going on in the world as I always have but somehow something moved over to another track, and I, I just love it and hope it can be sustained, and I had a big challenge to it today, and, uh, you know, really just had a long bout of watching some pretty nasty feelings I had, <sighs> and just feeling them and breathing them and knowing it's okay to have them, so that layer of jumping on myself phrase you use, that nabob of negativity. (laughs) What was that? (laughs) Nattering nabob of negativism. It's wonderful. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, I didn't um, make it up. I I, I don't remember when, from from what source it got planted in my brain, but it's from some comedy skit or TV show or something. Nattering nabobs of negativism. Yep. Well, it's it's nice to sort of have permission and to know that what I a man I consider <clears throat> far further along in the enlightenment department telling the stories of how he feels sometimes and that's true for Walzak too. In one of his podcasts or maybe it was the one you did, he talked about getting ready to run some workshop in Costa Rica. And he blew up at somebody and had a full meltdown right in front of his staff and clients and found his way out of it, but he went through it. It probably was an amazing experience, both for him and everybody else. But Well, you know, <clears throat> the, the name Gabor Matei? Oh, yeah. So... He was at a conference where he heard uh, Diedrich Wolzak do this presentation. Mm -hmm. And he tells the story of how he leaves that conference and he goes home. And his wife's supposed to pick him up at the airport. Mm -hmm. And signals got crossed or whatever. And he basically has a tantrum and pouts. (laughs) and, and, And he's, you know, he's watching himself do this with the realization that this is not really what he wants to be doing and he knows better and he's this, you know, internationally renowned lecturer and teacher about 
getting over trauma and handling your emotions and all that and still he can't he can't stop himself from being you know basically uh, an impish child with his wife mm-hmm. <laughs> and um you know that's it's teachers like that that are so valuable because they're they're understanding it's not the teacher that's important mm-hmm. because we're all in this mess together it's the teaching yeah. that holds the value and it's mm-hmm. not the teacher that brought this teaching it's just the teaching mm-hmm. <clears throat> so this this brings us to the point of diminishing the ego did you catch that in the reading with the uh, way of mastery in the first lesson? The idea of diminishing the ego. Well, does that no, does that I jump didn't. right out at you? No, I think okay. it's a good thing so just, to do. But okay, but but just just stick with me. Take a breath and just listen to this. We're going to go back and see if we can find this because we've only read ten pages, and in the first mm-hmm. ten pages. The way of mastery in the first lesson basically says you've got to completely disengage from your attachments mm-hmm. and and defend your perceptions, right? And it's, you know, things like you... You might be asked to go sweep the street, yeah. and that's perfectly okay. You have oh, to. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Right. You, you have to detach the concept that you're going to be special when you get it right, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. you know if you work hard enough, that um, your God will finally say to you, "Oh, you've been such a fine person, and now you can enter heaven." Right. Mm-hmm. So th- that paragraph comes at, at the bottom of the page where uh, the first step in awakening and they give the first axiom, which is that nothing you experience is caused by anything outside of you and that you experience only the effects of your own choice. Now, mm. right after that it says, now we recognize the ego, the conscious, the intellect, they call it, is going to argue against that. But mm. then three-quarters of the way down the page, it says, the way of the heart is not the way of the intellect. For indeed, Mm. the intellect, that aspect of your mind we call intellect, was never designed to be your master. Right. It was designed to be the humble, and if you'll pardon the expression, very stupid servant of the awakened (laughs) heart. And Michael Wells so, would pop up and say, you've got to do a worksheet on being stupid. Right, but the, the, I, I try to clarify that when I'm presenting this and I say the word stupid here doesn't, it's not a negative, it's not a pejorative. It means it just does like what a washing machine does. When you turn it mm-hmm. on, it spins, it flushes, it, it just runs through its cycle. It can't do anything mm-hmm. else. That's the implication here of the word stupid. It's not a pejorative. It's not a a slanderous thing. It's just 
look, the intellect only does, like Michael Rice talks about it, as the carbon-based memory. It's like a computer hard drive. Mm -hmm. It can only accept what you pour into it and spit it back out at a later date. That's what's being talked about when they call a very stupid servant. You can't go to your mind and ask it. for. It's like what Michael Singer says in that lecture, in that podcast. He says, if your mind had any wisdom, when you come to it and say, what do I need to make me happy? The mind would say, well, what are you asking me for? You're the one that's disconnected from your bliss. Don't ask me what's going to make you happy because it just I, does what it's told to do. Guy Finley yeah, calls it think, mechanical level of mind, of consciousness. Right. Go ahead. Well, it's just you say the word stupid in many different ways because you've read it many times and explained it many times, but when you get into it, you really say, stupid. (laughs) It is an accusation and a judgment. I know that isn't what you mean, but there's a lot of energy in the way you say it. But remember, remember the meaning for that word stupid is only contained in your mind. What were you told in your family and growing up in school and how were you punished or how was it a ridicule for you? That's the important oh, thing yeah. here. Notice mm-hmm. what's getting resonated for you. So then we'll come down to the last paragraph on this page because we want to come back to the idea about dismantling the ego, right? Mm-hmm. Or at least seeing the ego as it truly mm-hmm. is. We don't have to dismantle it. We don't have to attack it. We don't have to kill it. But we certainly don't want to make it the master. So the last paragraph says, you will discover that the pathway of awakening is not a pathway of avoidance, but a pathway of truthfulness. It Mm. is not a pathway of accomplishment and pride, but it is a pathway of releasing the consciousness and releasing from the consciousness every hope and every wish to be special. Hmm. Think about that. This Hmm. pathway Hmm. is a pathway of releasing from your consciousness every hope and every wish to be special and to see yourself as having made progress. Give it up. It's right here on the fifth page of the Way of Mastery. Give up the concept that you're going to do things that will help you make progress towards some goal of enlightenment or reaching heaven or whatever. Mm. Boy, that's right scary. here on on the fifth page. And so this is coming up. It says you want to give up any sense of being special so that you can feel special and then pound on your chest and, you know, strut like a rooster and say, I have my tail feathers out, aren't I wonderful? Because you're hoping that some master or God or savior is going to say to you, oh, you've been such a good person. Yes, we will allow you into the kingdom of heaven now. Mm. And this pathway is not about any of that. Yeah. That's like the last frontier. If you look at it that way, it's as if 
Yeah, for me. <laughs> it's, yeah, I feel as if I've spent my whole life manipulating just about everything so that I could be special. Yes, craving it. And yeah. getting uh, vicious and attacking and defensive and shutting down whenever you interpreted something as telling you you weren't good enough or you weren't yeah. special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, yesterday we played an audio file of Michael doing a worksheet with the, yeah, the group from the, second show. from the UK, yeah, on the second half of the show. Mm-hmm. And, and as I gritted my teeth and resisted all of my egoic chatterings and listened to it again, this gift comes to me. And it's a gift about dismantling the ego. Mm. And so in the worksheet it says something to the effect of, I agree to process out all disease-producing energies for and from all of my relations and generations. Mm-hmm. And this download came to me that, and I'm, I'm just using that word because that's the word Michael Rice uses, right? This, this mm-hmm. full statement came to me, and it's not me doing it. Right. It's not me taking it on. It's not me processing it out. It's not me in charge. It's me being willing to step aside that ego, that Mm. sense of accomplishment and being special, and let love, Mm. which is my true nature, take center stage and do the transmutation of any energy that is out of alignment with its creative intentions. Mm-hmm. Mm. And you got it's that not right me, then. It's not me being willing to process out. I'm not doing the processing. Right? Michael Rice at other points in his talk, even even in, in the audio yesterday was saying you got this nine-bit mind, metaphorically speaking, right? This tiny little processing. Mm-hmm. And in the same period of time when there's nine bits of data processed, your brain's doing 10,000 and there's 20 trillion bits. He says there's 20 trillion bits of data in the world. I say there's 20 trillion bits of data hitting your senses. And, and he says you're never going to work all of that out with that nine-bit processor. So you're asking for help, right, this processor. Mm-hmm. Ruka de Kucha, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And the idea is he gets it at different levels, and yet mm-hmm. there are places in the worksheet where the wording doesn't fit in terms of the regulatory speech. And so it's not me clearing this stuff up. It's not mm-hmm. me processing out all disease-producing energies. It's not me clearing up the traumas mm-hmm. of my generation. Boy, that's good. I never picked what that up. What it is is, here was, here was the, the, the quote I, that came in that I wrote down. It's me being willing to step aside 
and let mm. capital L love my true nature and I and all of this is probably flowing because it's right from the worksheet language let love my true nature take center stage and do the transmutation of any energy that's out of alignment with love's creative intentions mm. so good so you know when somebody says what a fine boy am I there's one of those Guy Finley lectures where he has that wow I think, what a fine boy am I and he says it's never that mm-hmm. that is putting up a roadblock to myself that is putting blinders on mm-hmm. that's assuming that I created myself and I know when I was created and how I was created and what I'm here for and that's beyond what that part of my mind that wants to take credit for anything can ever know. Yeah. So dismantling, or I like to call it, seeing the true nature of and finding the only useful place for ego. So now Mm. I'm not at war with my ego. I'm not trying to kill it. I'm not trying to dismantle it. I'm just trying to see its true nature as a very useful tool. So the master craftsman walks into her shop. She's got a wide array of tools, and she knows which one to use for which purpose. My ego is one of those. And it is, and it is not the most prominent. It's not the core tool. The core tool is my higher, you know, capital S self. The core tool is my ability to ask and be shown. Mm. Right? The thing I should go to most often, if I haven't made my intellect my master, the thing I should be doing all day long is asking to be shown what's mine to do next here. How to see this clearly. How to see through the, the filters that may be anything other than love how to have the filter of intention set to love and the filter of perception sent to love. That should be the most frequently used tool in my shop. Yeah. So that's all I got for today. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty good. Pretty good. Well, I have... um, (laughs) <laughs> that was it. <laughs> so, you know, there's this Winnicott concept of being a good enough mother or a good enough anything. And I remember when I was working with a woman therapist who I had trans- a huge transference on, I I read that and I came in and I said, my mom wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough. That's insulting. It wasn't good enough. I remember trying to work through that. But then years later, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to Michael Rice on the radio show and saying how afraid I was that all the stuff I'm having to work through with Michael who lives with us I'm afraid Michael may be feeling some of that. I'm not clear. It's not good enough. And Michael said, it's probably good enough. And I thought, boing, 
that was a wonderful thing for him to say. And it also was like releasing me from the expectation of perfection uh, and just allowing things to unfold as they're unfolding, watch them choose love every time whatever starts stirring around that's less than love and that's been just, it's, I'm hoping it's good enough and maybe it is good enough, but it certainly well, th- think isn't about th- Think about this. Think about yeah. this. Here's the last paragraph that we read from the first lesson okay. yesterday. It will come to pass that you will know the perfect peace of empty-headedness, not mm. knowing. Yep. It is good enough. You aren't here to fix these things. You're not here to save anybody. You're not here to correct because the world is broken. You're here, and you have the ability to connect with this perfect peace. Remember that bliss state that Michael Singer was talking about in that yeah. podcast? What this thing says is, this thing, the way of mastery says over and over is, the truth that is true always. What is that? That you rest in the perfect peace of knowing that you remain as you were created to be. And when your conscious logical mind or your ego or your intellect, whichever word you want to use for it, the mechanical level of mind that Guy Finley talks about, the words you use for it aren't important. But when it kicks out anything negative and judgmental, you can instantly know it's false. It's an Mm. old tape playing of stuff that's been programmed erroneously into your mind, intellect, Mm. like, you know, this thing says, you know, the way of mastery says, like you've shoved garbage into a garbage can. Mm. Your intellect does not know anything except the trivialities that you have shoved into it, like garbage mm-hmm. into a garbage can. That's the quote from the way of mastery. Mm. The intellect can never bring the healing of the heart that is the atonement. You're mm-hmm. not going to figure this out. That's Michael Rice's way of saying it. The number one solution of the non-being mind, I'm going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So what's the, what's the opposite of that? What is the complement to that, if you don't want to use the word opposite? It will come to pass that you will know the perfect peace of empty-headedness, of not knowingness. Mm-hmm. But what if you went into every moment understanding that you don't know what anything is or is for, and you're asking mm-hmm. to be shown? Mm-hmm. And you're not asking your intellect to figure it out. You're doing basically what we do in the reality management worksheet and that forgiveness pattern where I say, I put my conscious logical mind on the shelf for now, mm-hmm. and I ask to be shown something about the hidden part of my mind, it has to be shown something else. What if you practiced going into situations in your life that way? Mm, fantastic. Good thing to remember. I don't know. It is, it, it is a very, uh, it's a vibrant, vital practice that you can engage and watch what the results are. 
Mm-hmm. I've been doing it for years well, now, and I can't imagine going back. Yeah. Mm. The last part of that paragraph says, we are in communication always, and that is the way it is. So when you ask, you're going to be shown. When you ask, mm. you know, what's all of this about? What's mine to do here? How can I be a blessing? What can I learn from life in this moment? You will start to have different experiences than you get when you rely on your intellect and judgment. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So here we are in the first lesson. Before they end the first lesson, they say, remember, indeed, beloved friends, dance, rejoice, and play often. Later on, there's going to be a line that says, please, let not seriousness enter the mind. Mm. So that that feeds into the, in my mind, that feeds into the Michael Rice pseudo-solution of the non-being mind. The number one pseudo-solution is I'm going to figure it out. And I'm going to figure mm-hmm. it out, and I'm going to get it right, and I'm going to tell people that I'm right and they're wrong, and I'm going to tell people, you know, I'm going to have a bigger, you know, I'm going to be the bigger man and let people know that I was wrong and they were right. and It's all ego, and it's all oh, trying yeah. to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And the ego, if I put it into that place of prominence, what's been shoved into the ego is that it has to be right, and if it doesn't get it right, it's going to get punished. And So it just keeps trying to be right. It tries to rationalize this, that, and the other thing. Hmm. I have the ability to step back and watch that process of chatter and just say, that's okay, Mr. Ego, sit over here at the kiddie table with some Oreo cookies and milk and just chatter away, And but I'm not going to take you seriously in this realm. You are mm-hmm. a very specific tool in my life, and mm-hmm. you are not the tool to figure out what's mine to do in this moment to be a blessing. Mm-hmm. How can I learn in life? How can I release mm-hmm the tension, the negative thoughts, the judgment. You, Mr. Ego, you are not the tool for that. There's a very special place for you on the workshop table. I'm going to put you over here, and I'm going to pick up the tool I use most often, which is the recognition that I don't know what anything is or is for, and that I have a connection to a higher source of wisdom, and when I ask, it will be given. And I can practice being more comfortable with that empty-headedness and that not-knowingness and watch what unfolds. You're talking about the kind of forgiveness that in the way of mastery I've been trying to prepare a devotion for my vestry. I was talking to Michael Rice about this a couple of days ago. Um, that I can prepare prepare a a devotion for what? Our, I'm on the vestry of our church, and each one of us ha- is asked to present an opening devotion. So mine is coming up, <clears throat> and it's got to be short. But I'm thinking about the state of the world and thinking about what, in the way of mastery 
forgive me the perceptions I have about this other person, forgiveness coming back to the self. Forgive me for perceptions are like judgments, really. And to be able to let those go is, I I think this is, if we could all do that, we wouldn't have wars. We just, it's so important. And I've been wanting to present, somehow present, um, within my church context, which is limited. It's, you know, I should show up with a prayer from the Book of Common Prayer or a passage from the Bible or something. And I want to legitimize it by having it be from our own literature and still get this idea across. Oh, boy, I could, I mean, I'm going off on a tangent now, but I've had so many thoughts about that, but basically what you're talking about is when you give up the ego, you are in a state of forgiveness, the good kind, the purifying kind, the not knowing kind. Anyway, that's... Well, remember, it isn't giving up the ego. It is just recognizing that I have been trained by my culture to put the ego in charge of something that it's not capable of having control over or making good decisions about. It's like putting a kindergarten child in charge of your investment portfolio when you're in your 70s. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, It's far worse than that, but you'll get the same level of results. We aren't even at the level of kindergarten in comprehending the meaning of life and the flow of life and creation. Mm. But but if you want to get some sense of how silly it is for me to put my ego at at master, and, and when have I put my ego to the level of master? Any time I judge anything as being bad or wrong. Absolutely. I've just, so I've just made ego... The master, and I've decided that ego knows better than the flow of life. Mm-hmm. You know, there was this book that I read where the guy was talking about his um, traveling in another country, and he was traveling in this big, expensive car because the people that brought him there, because he's so smart, right, and he's got money, and, and the people that he was traveling to, they're so smart, and they've got money. So they're traveling from the airport to the hotel or whatever, and they're passing all of this poverty Mm. in this big, shiny car. And the guy writing the book says, I just, I was, my heart was aching, and I thought, this is tragic. Somebody's got to do something about this. This isn't right. And the companion that he was with said, so what if, this is all perfect, and a part of the perfection is that you're here seeing that there are people in need, and you've got some resources that you might bring to bear to make a change in the flow. What if it's all perfect? How am I going to be able to figure this out? I had a thought the other day, you know, where I was reading some writings that I did when I was in my 20s. Um, I don't know, it was last week I was doing that. 
And so, you know, there's some insight into the fact that I've been wrestling with these issues about what's my role in life and how can my life make a difference and whatever since I was in my, you know, pre-teens and, and early teens. These kinds of goofy philosophical ideas have been bouncing around in my head. Well, the fact of the matter is when you get to a book like or a set of teachings like The Way of Mastery or Course in Miracles, they're trying to tell you over and over again, you can't figure that out. So what's the most important thing you've done? What are you most proud of? What's, what's been the biggest thing that you've done to impact you know, the positive lives of others? You will never know. And so I was thinking the other day about how I get flashbacks every once in a while of critical, high emotional moments. And so I've, I was thinking, well, maybe it was this time when I helped this person or this time when I broke up this fight in high school or this time when I broke up this fight in college or this time when I gave this talk at a uni church, right, all of a sudden. And then I flashed, <laughs> I had a flash of a thought about me as a senior in high school when I had finally started doing some kind of um, uh, athletic stuff and, and stripping off the, the baby fat and whatever. And in a basketball game, there was this younger kid, not not a lot younger. He was like a sophomore and I was a senior or whatever. And he was like throwing elbows and fouling me left and right because I was like a foot taller than him. And I mm. took it and I took it and I took it until I blew up. Mm. He threw an elbow and I caught the elbow and threw him to the ground and I kicked him and I said you don't get to beat me up just because you're smaller than me. And I raged, just just briefly, but enough that there was no doubt I wasn't going to be hit by him again without retaliation. Ooh. That was not a good moment, right? That was, not, that was not something I'm proud of. And yet it flashed into my mind when I was trying to have this moment of reverie about what, what might I have done that benefited somebody. We have no way of knowing. Now, maybe that was an action in a chain of events that led that person to grow up to go beat up other people, anybody that was that he was bigger than. Maybe it was something that was a correction in his life. I will never know. And my conscious logical mind can't sort that out. But what happens when I decide that I know? In that moment... I've elevated my ego to this level mm. of prominence in my life, to the level of master. And way of mastery and a number of other traditions tell us, Michael Rice says, you can't figure it out. That's a, solu- a pseudo-solution of the non-loving mind. He calls it mm. the non-being mind. But the being mind that's is different. a mind that's full of love, that's coming from its true nature. Mm. So right here in the first lesson in the way of mastery, we have to give up every attachment to being special or to have made progress toward our goal of enlightenment or whatever you want to call it. This pathway is not an, a pathway of accomplishment and pride. It is a pathway of releasing from your consciousness every hope and every wish to be special or to be seeing yourself as having made progress. Mm. Well, no wonder 
not that many people stay on this pathway very long. <laughs> that goes directly against everything we've been taught. We're supposed to compete to be number one. We're supposed to be called a loser if we're at space number two or three. We're supposed to fight for what's right, right? And all of that is the ego. Now, the ego isn't a bad thing. It's just a specific tool that has very limited utility. And in the the master craftsperson goes into her shop and knows exactly where the place for the ego is. It's on the pegboard. It's an outline. And whenever it's not needed right now, it's back in its place. It's there Mm. to be drawn on when it's needed, but the master craftsperson is living her life by asking to be shown. She's using other tools. What are those tools? Mm. The last page says, the connection you have to this higher wisdom. It is nonsense for you to think that you're not connected, that Yeshua is not with you, that Ruka de Kucha is not accessible to you. You have asked these these forces, these wisdoms, these consciousnesses have responded. You are in communication with them, and that is your primary tool. It will always be thus. That's just the way it is. What if you made that your go-to tool? Rather than knowing and deciding and judging, what if your go-to tool is asking to be shown? Day after day, moment after moment, all through your life. Almost as if you have to get what? <laughs> to the point where with every single breath you're deciding that. Oh, yes, exactly. Because, because, because it's pretty much been with every single breath or every, every single statement or action you've been witnessing and programmed your whole life. It's been the opposite. Mm-hmm. So it's, a, you know, it's this deconditioning process is this dismantling of false conditioning that's needed and yes mm. that that needs vigilance and and you can make subtle but very powerful shifts if you change what you say in your reality management worksheet mm. right i don't dismantle, I don't process out the disease-producing energies for and from all of my relations and generations. That's not me doing that. That's love. That's, That's life. Nice. That's Ruka de Kucha. That's the super processor doing that. What mm. if you change those words? Whether Michael ever yeah. changes it or not, then, then, then you're programming your mind to recognize, oh, wait a minute, I don't have to do all this work. It's not up to me to clean out the stuff of my generations. I just have to get myself out of the way more often. That's really helpful. I, you know, I we need another iteration of the wake-up sheet. Well, you can make it your own, right? Right there, you can just have this yeah. realization. You can integrate all these other things that Michael says about how, you know, you're never going to do it with your nine-bit mind. 
that's why you need to mm-hmm. ask for the super processor or Ruka or somebody to mm-hmm. help you with it. And and that's what's done in step five, right? But in this earlier step, here's this language that says, I'm going to face and process out. I'm not doing any right. of that processing out. That's always been a stumbling block for me, so this is really good. Because I thought, I can't do it. Yeah, and the teaching is that you can't do it. And it says in, in step five, yeah. basically, you know, I, I need to ask for help from something other than my conscious logical mind to include me toward healing, incline me toward healing, restore me to my newborn essence of love, heal my denial. And when I read this, I don't say restore me to my newborn essence of love. I say restore me to my awareness that my newborn essence is love. Because it's always there. Mm. The love is always there. That's who I am. I can't ever be separated mm. from it. I can focus on something else. I can mm. make something other than love my master in this moment because I have that ability with my creative energy. And yet the essence is I can't do it myself I need this super processor, Ruka Dakucha, mm. Jesus, God, light, love, whatever, something other than my conscious logical mind. And that goes against the thought that I'm going to willingly face and process out all of these disease-producing energies as though I'm the one processing them out. It's not me processing. Mm-hmm. Mm. What was the quote? What was the... the, the I'm going to read it here. The... I wrote down this morning, it's not me processing this stuff out. It's me being willing to step aside and let capital Mm. L love, which is my true nature, take center stage and do the transmutation of any energy that is out of alignment with its creative intentions. Mm. Hmm. And to do that, I have to step aside. To do that, I've got to get my ego back up on the pegboard in the workshop in the place it belongs when it's not needed. Hmm. I can't be driving from ego. I can't be thinking that if I do this, this is really going to make a difference. This is going to make me special. right? This is going to help me get to where I want to go. Because the way of mastery says... I need to give up by releasing from my consciousness every hope and every wish to be special or to see myself as having made progress. Because it's not me doing any of this. Of myself, I do nothing. The creator within me does all things. If I come in my own name, I'm a false prophet. All of these statements from Scripture that hold that, that weren't corrupted by other people's writings and other people's egos. So, so one of the big things for me in the first lesson is that recognition that I can't know with the conscious logical mind. I can't plan this out. 
Mm. I can learn to dance, rejoice, and play often. I can learn to stop taking myself so seriously, that conscious logical mind, that ego, that intellect. And I can dismantle or see as false every thought of scarcity and every sense of unworthiness and every fear. And as it says in in the promise, it says, I'm going to have these thoughts of fear. I'm going to have these thoughts of scarcity and unworthiness. I need to be willing to look lovingly on every place in my mind where those thoughts have made a home. I need to be gentle with myself and recognize, oh, this is just an error in the programming that was taught to you. I need to let them come up. I need to look at them, embrace them, and let love transmute them through its own pure nature. I can't do that unless I'm truly honest that those negative thoughts are there. I need to accept where I am and not pretend to be otherwise. Mm. That's why when we're talking about people like Gabor Matei and you were talking about Diedrich Wolzak, uh, these people that are telling stories about how they rage out or they get triggered or they get upset or they blame other people right after they've been preaching about how it's all an inside mm-hmm. job and mm-hmm. that's the honesty that's needed. Mm-hmm. Honesty and then allowing, at least for me, to allow... <laughs> I think I'm pretty honest about what's going on in the negative way. Maybe I'm not, but to not judge well, but that's it. it. But here, here's, the, here's the missing piece. When you say you're pretty honest, I agree with you. You're pretty honest. The missing piece for you in this line of work, in this last paragraph I just read, would be that you're not gentle with yourself about that. When you see that in yourself, you beat yourself up over it. Yeah, that's, that's that Nabob guy. <laughs> The nattering nabob of negativism that lives in your mind. Yes, indeed. And and you want to just, it. you know, give him some Oreo cookies and milk and let him sit at the cookie table. Don't <laughs> yell at him. Don't scream at him. Don't tell him he's wrong. Just say, okay, that's, a, that's an interesting thought. Why don't you sit over here with that? I'm going to rest in the awareness of my true nature. I'm going to rest... In the truth, as the way of mastery would say, in the truth that is true always. What is that? You remain as your creator created you to be. You remain as a spark of the one mind. You Mm. remain as this energy of love expressing in form. And the thoughts that you have and the actions you've taken in the past have never in any way chipped, dented, rusted, faded, or broken that in any way. And when you can gently, with some chuckling, with some laughter, with some, oh, how silly I was to think this negative thought about myself, or to spend the last 50 years beating myself up over that, and I chuckle at it and laugh at it and realize it's got nothing to do with my true nature, 
then I can be gentle with myself. And then the honesty has a chance to actually soften the soil so that the truth, the awareness of the truth, can sink deep into the soil of my consciousness. Yeah, I, that's good. I'm, I can feel resistance coming up in one area. <laughs> <laughs> what area would that be? <laughs> Shut up, Dr. Tim. Um, having hurt people or animals before. I've talked about that before, but I mean, if another creature's involved, then there's some, something to be done about in order to get back to the... Not, not in the past. Right? There's nothing to be done about what you did in the past. In the present moment, okay. if there's an animal in front of you, go into the rooted center of your being, have faith, which is to take an mm-hmm. action from the rooted center of your being. Tap into your awareness of your true nature as love. Tap into your awareness that you remain as the creator created you to be and take an action from that. That's all you can do. You don't have access to okay. the past. And the past has well, I, never, what you've said or done, has never decreased your value as a person. Okay. I hear that. That's an amazing thought. I, I hear your resistance to it. Shut up. And that's okay. I'm not. It's okay. <laughs> Yeah. No, I hear it too. I just don't think it's possible. But that's okay. It isn't. It isn't possible. And and you said the key word there. Sinking is possible. It's not possible. There's no way you're going to sink your way through to that. Because yeah. your thinking mind has all of these pre-programmed ideas in it that because you did that, you're bad and you're wrong and you need to be punished and you don't deserve to go to heaven. And We've all got that stuff. That's why we say, mm-hmm. you got to, Michael Rice says, you got to be out of your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't think that it's going to be possible because it's not going to be possible through thinking. Mm-hmm. It can be possible by allowing, by surrendering, by asking. Okay, I know we're at the end of the hour, but where does atonement come in on all that? How can can we atone? No, 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 no. Listen, your your definition for the word atonement is not what they're using here in this book. At-one-ment. Atonement is the returning to the realization that you're one with everything. You were never separated. You never hurt anybody. They never hurt you mm-hmm. at this purest level. That's the at-one-ment. That's the recognition that all of this thing about separation is just a dream. <laughs> I've done some very bad dream, bad things in that dream. I know I'm just pushing now, I'm, but, you know, okay, I, I do hear you. That's great, and I've got to switch over the radio show. Thank you, Dr. Tim. That was a really good hour.
I don't know whether you can hear me, but suddenly everything's gone silent, so I'm going to hang up and dial back in. I can hear. I can hear you, Susan. Susan. Hello. Jeannie, I can't hear you. Okay. Dr. Tim was talking, and then he must have dropped off. But anyway, Susan said she would call back in. Okay, cool. So welcome to the second hour of MindShifters Radio. Today is Thursday, November the 2nd, 2023. And their call-in number is 563-999-3581. And Susan called back in, so I'm going to turn her microphone back on. Susan, I think Dr. Tim dropped off when uh, Michael called in. I'm not sure. But we are oh, okay. both here with you. <laughs> okay. Well, there have been some glitchy things happening in the first hour. Um, uh, Dr. Tim would be talking and then suddenly silence. <clears throat> and I dialed back yes, in. His voice just disappeared there. What? What, Michael? I say his voice just disappeared. Kind of strange. Yeah. So, forewarning, blog talk may be having some troubles. But. Yeah. Well, I, I um, you know, just heard the tail end of your conversation with him, and, and I'd, I'd be in agreement with Dr. Tim that atonement, you know, the, the world's, you know, remember that everything is true in the spiritual dimension. There's a cheap copy for it in the world of the ego. You know, mm-hmm. love is sexual athletics. Uh, forgiveness is I'm going to let you off the hook. And atonement is right. I'm going to atone for my sins. I'm going to make up for I'm going to suffer for my sins. Where yeah. the objective of removing the barriers to the awareness of love, love's presence is to go back to the space where there is only, there's a realization that there's only one of us. You know? And that's, a, that's an insight that even Einstein, from the point of view of a physicist, says, you know, if you think you're separate or separated from the rest of humanity, you're living in an optical delusion. And to me, forgiveness is simply the removal of the optical delusion and the, all the lies that come from it and getting back to the truth of it and allowing it in. And and my my offering when you say the terrible things you've done would be I bet you've done nothing more dramatic than your power person did to you. And you've passed it on and now you're courageously going headlong into your work to clean it up and that's like that's ten times more powerful than hang out with the terrible things I've done in oh, my book. And it's been great. Yeah. Michael, you said something to me a couple of weeks ago that has helped so much. I was moaning about how I was afraid that our Michael might feel things that I feel that are less than love toward him. No matter how I act, I'm good at holding love present and acting from love, and I'm pretty good about that, but I'm afraid that he can feel something stirring that's other than love because there often is. He's, he's my teacher right. and I'm working on this all the time. But you said maybe it is good enough. And I just thought I felt Absolutely. That was just really, you know really helpful. 
Yeah, and when that comes up, that's a wonderful space for honest communication. And if you do responsibility communication, you remember where you use words mm-hmm. to describe your reality, owning that it belongs to you, rather than the yeah. world that does projection communication where it uses words to prove that the reality in my mind belongs to somebody else. So, mm-hmm. you know, opening the kind of relationship with him where you can be honest with what's coming up for you. And mm-hmm. in, in the context of I'm here to support you and, you know, here's where we're going and this is what's coming up for me. And, you know, having those hard conversations can be a mm-hmm. really challenging thing because people have, you know, matching bags of garbage. But if we can have mm-hmm. the, the honest conversations about what's really going on, not that I have to act on it, not that it's the end all and the be all, but this is a reality coming up in me when I can own it, as as that line from the, uh, the uh, play, Mass Appeal, now that the truth mm-hmm. has been told, I can show up as the love that I am rather than as the person who has to tell the story and cover something up, and, 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 uh, which blocks the presence of active love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So joining you in the safety of doing that. It's been quite a challenge, but a rather sweet thing happened today. Michael has no car, and so he has to walk to the grocery store. And, of course, when he walks, he can't bring very much because he brings his dog in a stroller, and he takes a backpack. So whatever he gets is not much. And he, he has food stamps. And he said, what I really want to do is I have all this money on my food stamp thing, and I have to use it up at the end of the month, which was yesterday. And he said, um, right. I, want, I want to buy you some food for the, for the refugee center with the rest of the money. And That's sweet. I, yeah, it is sweet because he has, you know, I said, Michael, you're trying to save every penny. You know, I could reimburse you. You could buy those things and give them to me, and I could reimburse you, and you'd have the money to go towards your car. And there was some resistance there, but I was thinking maybe I'm not fully accepting his gift either. You know, I wasn't yeah, really allowing, allowing him. for him to be generous. Yeah. So anyway, sort of ongoing lessons. Yeah. You know, the, so there's, we, uh, there's an old saying, I forget who, who came forward with it, was like the hole you give through is the hole you receive through. And so allowing someone to expand that hole they give through can be a a gift because it opens the space for them to receive, too. Boy, is that important. Well, we drove to the the store today for him to use up the rest of his money, and he got a whole cart full of stuff. We got through the cash register place, and he put the card in, and he couldn't use it. And so there's – and he was looking at me saying, oh, I'm so sorry, as if he's taking something away from me. Hey, I'm so sorry this has happened. And I said, you know, this, this is so complicated, this stamp thing, and I don't know how it works. But the cashier said, you know, this has happened to several people today. I think the whole operation is down. I don't think it's your card. But anyway, he felt terrible because he had to put everything back, and he couldn't give me the sugar and the Primor and all this awful stuff, Michael, that he wanted to get for the refugees. And they do use it, so... 
Anyway, it's been a very interesting thing. Uh, but anyway, I don't need to talk about all that. It's just ongoing learning on all sides. Equanimity. Mm. The ability to be in balance with whatever's happening is, I think, a, another expression of being. Yeah. It's a goal. It's, it's an ideal, I should say. And I have not sent you the article that I'm working on. It has become infinitely more complex and detailed than it started out to be. And I Mm -hmm. think that it's going to end up being a book, and then I'm going to shorten the article and end up shortening the article out of it. But at this point, it's been growing and expanding to uh, um, several different, you know, taking that single thought of Job, that which I feared most has come upon me, that which I dreaded has happened to me, and getting people to understand that those emotional amplifiers are what produce effects in the world that we call attack, pain, and suffering. That's a um, monumental task to get people to connect. My fear actually means that person come and does that to me. So anyway, it's it's, mm-hmm. it's been uh, a uh, an, an ongoing expanding operation, and uh, I will send mm-hmm. it to you when I get it to a, a point where it's more logical. Right now, it's disjointed with about five or six different key ideas that are, at least at this point, I'm seeing as opening the uh, the path for people to be able to grasp that. That's the creative process. Uh, I'm happy yes. to wait. That's Cool. We'll keep you posted. Any other thoughts for you today? No, you go ahead. Dr. Tim and I talked the whole hour. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you came to a a wonderful conclusion. And cancel your need to ever atone for a sin again. And just uh, mm-hmm. remove that thing that separates us so we can get back to being who we are as one. Mm. Wonderful. Yeah. That's the truth of us all. All right. We appreciate you, young lady. Blessings. Thanks. Thanks. You too, Michael. All righty. Thanks. All righty. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, Miss Jeannie... Um, well, Doug, is what be happening on your end? Yeah, we were going to do the emotional release with him, so he, I've just turned his microphone yes. on. Welcome, Doug. Let's go. For good it. morning. Yep. Hey there, good sir. Morning. How are you? Damn good. All right. Um, I'm fine. How? Pretty good. Well, tell me about that elevation in voice tone and what that means. What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm. <laughs> making a nice smoothie and uh you know I enjoyed the first hour and uh, <laughs> I guess I'm just having a yeah fairly decent mood um I, I feel like I have not I mean I listened to just again I've listened to several times the last 20 minutes of the hour that we talked and it's so packed full of 
good yummies, and I feel like I haven't yet even begun to, you know, I've begun to, um, a little bit, but it's there's a whole lot. And I, I feel like I that there are two sides to my attachment. One is more positive, and one is that out of the non-being mind. It's like I do love her, I do care about her, I would like that something good if that's what's right. But all of the negative. So you so you ready for me to crash that one for you? <laughs> the positive you side. Have me crash that for you. You, you will have me crash that positive side. All right, I'm willing to have you do that. Should we just let that one go for now? <laughs> it's necessary. You know, I, at this point, it's like I, well, I'm always willing to hear a thought. You know, I don't know how how it would land at the moment because I feel like that's what I, at least that's what I feel, is like there's a positive appreciation uh, that is born. And then there's all of the negative uh, content that we were talking about, the essence of what we discussed, you know, my my fears of the world, my dependence, my need, my guilt, you know, all of those things drive that side. So um, I'm willing to have you in the I would certainly want to hear about it um, on that. So my offering would be, you're kidding yourself. You've never loved her. Oh, and she's yeah, never I'm loved not. you. And she's never okay. going to love you. And you're never going to love her. And nobody has ever you know, loved you and nobody ever will. And, and I have never loved anyone and I never will. And God doesn't love either of us or any of us. That's all a fraud. That's all a lie. Right. We've been yeah, taught. I, you know, remember the mind is a, a, a is a goal accomplishing device, but the goal has got to be achievable in order to ever reach any real satisfaction. And you know, the common theme of the world. You know, I forget the name of the band that came out with it many years ago, and it, it's the common theme of the whole world because everybody's pursuing a love relationship where they're loved and somebody else loves them. And the uh, the band came out with a song that was, I can't get no satisfaction. Because <laughs> when yeah. you're chasing something false, you can't ever achieve it. It can't be done. Now, you can do the work of forgiveness so that you can show up in that relationship as who you are, as love and compassion and caring. But it's not a verb. It's not something you can do to somebody else. But as long as the mind thinks that's the goal, then the mind's going to keep hallucinating all kinds of realities and any unresolved pain in the mind is going to become attached to the lack of achievement of that goal. The reality stimulated by that goal. And it's all based in a falsehood. So when you start to move in the direction, so what I really want to do, as opposed to pretend that I love this person, make up this fantasy about loving this person, is I want to get to the point where I reconnect to my original nature as love and I show up as that. Now, I am love 
and and from that space of love comes caring, compassion, you know, all the things that people would say, I love you. But that being a falsehood, then their forms of love become, you know, the rage because you didn't do this and the anger because you didn't, the sadness because and the separation because and the leaving and the coming back and they go, you know, all of that stuff is all based in a falsehood. And ultimately, as long as the mind has been taught a lie, the mind can't do anything else but live out of that lie. And and the end result of every lie in the mind is failure and loss. Because it's chasing a fantasy. It's chasing something that can't be done. So my offering would be to do the work that it takes to remove everything in yourself that has anything to do with what someone might call attributes other than love. Remove those so that you just show up. And yeah, then I feel, I, you are love, are love in the relationship. That sounds 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 uh, great. I I um, in that state uh, in that state. There's no is there is there any kind of attachment? I mean, what what is, what what? You know, the, the psychologist, psychology often talks about attachment and attachment disorder. To me, attachment is a disorder. Connection. Connection is, to me, what it's about is to recognize I am connected to everyone. And are there people closer to me that I behave in a more intense manner from that space of love toward? Yes, of course. But to me, it's connection. If it's if it's attachment, we're in we're we're in difficulty. Sounds good. And, and there's something else. To me, attachment comes down to codependence. Oh, I'm attached to you doing this, and if you don't do this, then I'm going to be that. That to me would be attachment. Okay, it it, it has expectations. Of the other person, probably goals. Yeah. Goals. You know, if if we're attached, then you have to behave this way, and you have to do this, and you have to do that, and I have to do this, and I have to do that. As opposed to, there's connection in being, and in doing our work together. You know, there's hostility and fear that perhaps each of us brings to the relationship that we have to work out and work through, and so. Let's join in doing that, but it comes from our connectedness as opposed to our attachment. And there was one other thing you said that I'll go back and listen to and catch, but 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 that sort of felt very important. But I, it, you said something about if you, I don't know if I can create it in a way to get you to say it again. Uh, I'll try once, and if not, we'll move on. Something like okay. if you. If you um, if you're going to something that you your your can't voice faded out there for a second, say it again. If you're going after something that you can't get, you are achieve. You are um, 
bound to fail or something like that. And 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 you were building upon the idea that were you building on the idea that in saying that that if you are if you think you love somebody that's a a, a false goal you can never achieve so you're always going to fail at quote loving someone is that what is that what what that was about well, am i that, that's, that's a little bit of a turned around idea of what i was expressing what i was saying is that if i hold that it's possible for me to love you then i tell my mind that i'm supposed to love you so here we are rolling along in a relationship and i'm supposed to be loving you and and one day, because we have one of aspect of our attraction is our matching bags of garbage, and you happen to have just the right energy to resonate my rage. So you do the behavior that resonates my rage, and now all of a sudden I've failed in my goal to quote-unquote love you. And now that I've failed in my goal to love you, then I'm going to tend to move into some sort of self-condemnation, or if I get into blame, it's going to be your fault or what have you. And, and you know, it, it always leaves, if I give my mind something it can't achieve, it's always going to fail because that goal isn't achievable. It's achievable to stand as the space of love, and my commitment is, you know, I promise to trust you enough to tell you the truth, to be true to you, to treat you lovingly, gently, and with respect. And in that understanding, there's room for if you, you know, resonate my rage, I'd say I'm here to treat you lovingly, gently, and right now my rage is up, and, you know, I, I snapped at you, and, and I apologize for that. But I, and I haven't failed at my commitment But if I'm supposed to, come hell or high water in all circumstances, quote-unquote, love you, or you're supposed to love me, which in most people's book, the word really means approve of, i.e., as long as you're doing what I want you to do, then I approve of you. That's what most people call loving somebody. And it leads to mass insanity. So joining in a relationship where the goal is I'm here to experience who I am as love and to support you in doing the same and to make a safe space for anything in me that's unlike that. Maybe it's 10, 100 generations old or anything in you that might be yesterday or 10 or 100 generations old to create the space that's safe enough for that to come up to be processed. And when you stand as a space of love and practice it and, and hold to that commitment, and I stand as a space of love and, and a practice and I hold to that commitment, and up comes our rage, then we now empower each other to heal our rage or our sadness or our grief or our loss or our, you know, melancholy or, you know, whatever it is. Life is hopeless. It's helpless. It's over. It'll never happen. I'm always, you know, whatever the conclusions are. It gets safe enough for those things to come up. And in the space of active love, they heal. And we best do that for each other by holding love present as that comes up. Is that correct? And yes, our exactly. Okay, so so we don't fail by virtue of the fact that included in the commitment is what you do when something other than... W- what you do when rage or things up, 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 up. You, you yeah. have a provision 
that you're doing that. Therefore, you're still not failing. You're not necessarily approving yeah, the first, them. Go ahead. Yeah, the first part of the commitment is I, I promise to trust you enough to tell you the truth, treat you lovingly, gently, and with respect. And the last paragraph, if anything unlike that love comes up, I'll hold this in my heart and listen as we each learn to speak, experience, and be responsible for our own realities. I'm here for you and with you, keeping communication open and keeping love conscious, active, and present as we heal, celebrate life, and grow together. So there's a provision right. for insanity. You know, and if, if there's no, at this stage in our development as non-humans moving to human life, there's got to be a provision for the space for the the most bizarre forms of insanity that have ever existed on the planet to come up and be healed. And what to do in that. So I, I, yes. I don't know, it makes me want to laugh to say that's a provision for insanity, but that's exactly what it is. And then that's exactly what, what it do, is. It's a provision for insanity and what to do when it comes up. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Okay. So I'm here for you and with you keeping communication open. And then, of course, we've got a whole raft of tools, forgiveness and all the rest. So it allows the space for that to come up, and hopefully each time you go to the depth of, or I go to the depths of my insane mind, with your support and assistance and vice versa, I burn off a little more of my own insanity. So where yesterday it maybe hit a level 10 when you gave me the look, today it only hits a level 9. And then next month when it comes up again, it only hits a level 8 and gets down to the point where it hits a level 4 and now all of a sudden I don't have to express it as my insanity and just go, whoa, I noticed there's some deep and extreme insane stuff that, you know, last week I was puking all over you, but now I'm realizing here it is in my mind, and, and I've stopped making my brain's image of you out of it. I've, I've collapsed that process often enough to realize and to build the brain cells for this is something in me that I need to deal with. And what I really need is some support and assistance. Would you hold the space? So now we've got... Uh, a uh, a platform and a blueprint for healing through our relationships because it's in those relationships that those things are going to come up and you know you, you go back into the scriptures and talk about nothing will remain hidden everything will be made known in the light of day so if you know 15 generations ago the you know the family broke and and you know was smashed to smithereens and everybody went in different directions and you know the rest of the experience of that life for that ancestor was life is over if that's in the genes then sooner or later that energetic pattern is going to work its way to the surface of the mind and drive behavior and create exactly the circumstance where that's going to come up full-blown. If I'm conscious enough, rather than being run by the energetic pattern that's moving in my mind, I'll be able to step back from it 
Become the observer of it, the thinker apart from the thought, the feeler apart from the feelings, the actor apart from the actions, and recognize, ooh, this is something happening in my mind. And rather than building my brain's picture of you out of it, projecting that pain content in my brain's image of you, and really believing because I see it, I think I see it with my eyes out there that I'm seeing you do that, I recognize, oh, this is content of my mind that I've been projecting, and now I'm going to collapse that projection. And that one, and that one, and each time I collapse a projection, instead of being in a, a relationship with the projected image of my pain, i.e. it shows up in my mind's image of you, and therefore I know it's yours, I get to the point where I get back to a direct relationship with my pain. It isn't put into my brain's image of you anymore. I finally have the strength and the ability and the practice to come face-to-face with it and hold to active love as I do. And that's what dissolves it. You know, that story in the scriptures where the woman has the 12-year issue of blood, and she knows that if she can touch, just touch the hem of Yeshua's garment, and, and it wasn't about her running over and touching the piece of cloth, it was that she was stepping into a space of such vitality that she could literally, really, truly face whatever that underlying energy was, energy dynamic. Who knows how many generations back it was or what happened in childhood or what happened in utero that she's able to scoop that energy out of her field because she has the added strength of that support of this man, Yeshua, and boom, something that's been in going on, you know, a really serious uh, infirmity that's been going on for 12 years is instantly gone. Yeah, that was an awesome description of a lot. And I, I want to acknowledge that. And then I want to say that, that you guys were, you and Susan were talking about this moment with this story and then then tie that into some discussion going on in a question first hour about are we doing that or is Ruka doing that? Is the super processor doing that? Are we just surrender? We're sur- you know like when, when the language for the sake of language we say I'm recognizing this, I'm doing this, I'm processing this, and therefore I'm becoming whole. And you know all of these things tie together. Everything I just said, like me, is like part of the mystery of unraveling exactly what is it that really happens are we not saying i see that i'm an heir i surrender to a higher power which is uh, a ruka which then sets me in order i surrender to it or am i setting myself in order as i recognize it my offering would be that we're working toward doing all of the above all of the above. You know, when okay. You know, this woman knows that she needs an extra layer of vitality to process a depth that she can't do on her own. And she's getting getting something from him. That's always been a, that story has always been an interesting point because he then tells her, your faith. Right. Okay. So he gets, he doesn't, he he isn't going to claim, look what I did to you or for you. He's telling her what really happened. Yes. I offered the support you needed. You were at a level six vitality. You had a level eight issue. You couldn't get up to that level eight to process it out on your own. 
but you were ready and willing. You remember that story, you know, in the descriptor it says it was a throng of people. I don't know how many people there are in a throng. Is it 250, 100, 5,000? I don't know. But she's the only one who made the shift. So, so he lent, my take would be he lent his vitality to her to boost her to the level nine where she could process through whatever that, physio, what appeared to be a physical thing uh, that blocked her, her proper physical function, that she was able to process through that. And then when they want to lay it on him, he says, no, no, in essence, all I did was add a little vitality. It was her that did the work. It was her willingness. She's the one who stepped up to the plate. Notice there were 5,000 other people here. None of them got it. I put the same energy out in the whole group. Why did she move? Because she was ready to do her work. So to me, it would be both. Okay. So, so while we're in this territory, I just want to split these hairs a little more and dive a little deeper into Go it. For it. If, if we, it's good because stuff. it's like, okay. so, so I know that we've often said, that, and I've heard, you know, heard you say that when we have a thousand, ten thousand, a million issues and we have a nine-bit mind, we're not going to personally take through our mind what's necessary to, to process out all of that non-being content, but the super process. But, but our willingness is necessary. And so, so it's like in that moment, he went to there with faith touched his garment ready and that was her contribution he added vitality and then as we and, and then love or rukka or the power of the divine grace would actually with that vitality and her will she didn't heal herself or did she her role was getting herself in position to be healed because it's like I'm just trying or it's both you're saying it's sort of both I'm trying to shut that out. My take is that it's both, that, that if I can't be active, present love to burn off whatever it is in me that needs to be transmuted or burned off, then I can receive that support from another, and I can stand in willingness. And remember that when the scriptures talk about God sending out his spirit, it doesn't say that. It says the creator sent out its breath. And so when I'm willing to breathe into that space, then that's when those things open. So to me, it would be all of the above that's happening there. Okay. And as I strengthen, you know, they talk in the scriptures about strength to strength. No, we're not going to do it all in one fell swoop. It's a process. Many people want to storm the gates of the kingdom. You can't storm the gates. It's strength to strength. You do your work. You gather another piece of strength, another ability, another step and be able to step in back and observe yourself, another little piece of, yes, I can stand stronger as love. I can stay awake in my mind longer when my pain and trauma surfaces. So to me, it would be all, what you're doing is all of the above. And in that particular case, all three factors, you know, we, we might break it up. As someone who's, let's say, in the early stages of doing their work and their unwillingness, let's say it's that woman who has the 12-year issue of blood, you know, Yeshua might be offering four points of support to vitalize her. And if it were someone more advanced, you know, maybe she's at an, a seven and she's got to get to an eight. So Yeshua might be offering one point of, and, and then the willingness 
stands in part in being able to breathe through it because it's the breath that opens and creates that transmutation. So it, we're, we're really trying to use symbols of symbols, words, to describe a process that's way beyond what our words can even start to really approximate. There is a really nice clue in the, um, in the Course in Miracles where it describes how forgiveness is done. And in that particular lesson, I think it's Lesson 308, Paragraph 7, it says, let go all the things you think you want, your trifling treasures put away, and leave a clean and open space within your mind. So your nine-bit mind, if you don't fill the altar, if you don't fill it with all the preconceived and all the garbage of the generations, yeah, you can process massive amounts of data through that nine-bit mind. But you can't do it until you've collapsed what's occupying. You've got to clear the altar. And you do that by canceling the goal that collapses the perception that fills the, the altar being the nine-bit mind. Not A-L-T-A-R as in the church, but A-L-T-E-R as in change the content of the generational patterns within us. So altar happens at the altar of a clear mind yes. without the mind. Exactly. And so you collapse the whole projection, you collapse perception, and you've now got this clean and open space where active present love can come and burn off. You know, one of the, the objectives of the still point breathing process is to get to the point where that still point happens where instead of being in resistance, you know, in Aramaic, the word Satan means the resistor, one who misleads. And my take is most people are trapped in Satan in this world, in this culture, most of the time because they're always being misled by their own minds and it's always somebody else's fault. And when we are, are ready to give that up and leave a clean and open space, then, and, and in Aramaic, the word Satan means the resistor. When I let go of that resistance, I move into a super processor space. And that happens, at least for me, most reliably with the breath. You know, if you look at, you've been in workshops where I've done the energy field work before, and over the, you know, the, the decades of, of the work that I've done and all the different workshops and studies that I've done, what I, very early in my career, I noticed that still point was super process time. When that still point spontaneously happened, then, and I could be with somebody to unpack what happened, there was so much that went on, it was like, you know, in some cases, in a matter of 30 seconds, people process through years of old trauma. And my take is because when the breath is moving adequately, Rukha is moving adequately, we're in a space of a super processor. There's no resistance to what needs to move. We're literally out of Satan's grip, out of the resistor. And just massive underlying energetic patterns can be undone in a fraction of a second in a still point. That's where the breath comes in. That's where Rook comes love in. Is, okay, and love is always required for forgiveness to occur. So 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 is that correct? It's like it's like ultimately Say it again, your your voice glitched there. Love is always required to be present for that's forgiveness it. to happen. Yeah. That, it, it to me that is, is that's what burns off the 
the energy, the simple exposure to active present love. It's like it's like the sun creates a transmutation in the leaf of a of a, a tree, and chlorophyll converts sunlight energy into sugar and feeds the tree. It's the active presence of love that creates that transmutation that we see happening with the sun and the tree leaf. And there's an actual so the transmutation of energy. So anything that anything of the false mind, anything that is not true, no matter how old the generational pattern is, that is allowed to surface directly rather than be projected, is allowed to surface directly in the presence of love without being projected into our brain's image of someone else, then that stuff automatically starts to burn off. That's an important key idea, that it's surfacing yeah. directly, not, not, not focused through somebody else. And, and ultimately, exactly. then, the mind can't heal itself by itself without love, no matter what it does. Well, the mind it, can't. It, it, the, mind, the mind, you know, the, the, the secrets, the power is not in the mind. It's actually the mind that hides those things. Okay. The mind can't do it by itself, no matter what. No. And no. love is present. Set itself up for that. No. I mean, you think about, you know, if you take the Harvard research, it says nine bits of data in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells are firing, and it's been estimated that there are perhaps 20 trillion bits of data in the world. I mean, what can you do in a 20 trillion bit world with a nine bit mind? Not much. The only but thing when you can do is shows up. Okay. And but as long as we're you... in the. As long as we're in the, I'm in this space because that happened. I'm only experiencing it because she did this or he did that or they did that. As long as I'm in that space, then with my goal to have someone else to blame, I take the very thing that I need to process and I put it, I literally make my brain's picture, what I think I'm seeing out there, I make up with what's happening inside of me. So now I'm, I'm still in, in relationship, you know, people who are in blame are still in relationship with their pain, but their relationship is indirect. They're experiencing all the pain, but they can tell you the story about how it's everybody else's fault and everybody else needs to change. That's because they're in an indirect relationship. In that the reason they why a lot of people won't do, won't do the forgiveness process is because they're coming into direct relationship with it and they have to feel it directly. And they don't want to. But as long and as they they're in indirect, as long as they're in indirect relationship, they are the resistor to the healing they need. That, that condition exactly. is. Precisely. As long as I and, believe and, in something and, or somebody outside of me. Having goals be so important that that they fill the mind with this non-being content. In other words, we have to. That becomes a resistor too. It's like when when you quoted that that passage from the Course in Miracles, putting aside everything. That means setting everything else aside, all the goals, everything else you've got, in order to be coming into the clear and open space where love can make the change and you can have direct relationships with it, right? Right, right. And yes, you would say, okay. seek ye first the kingdom. 
Seek the healed state. Seek the state where you experience who you are as the active presence of love before you go trying to create something out of your unconscious drama and trauma, out of your generational patterns, because all you'll do is replicate the generational patterns. You know, again, go back to the scriptures. Look to the lives of the fathers, for ours are but a shadow of theirs upon the earth. The sins of the fathers, the energetic patterns that are off base, are carried on for generation after generation. You know, and it, it becomes, improving in the laboratory, this is the whole study of epigenetics. You know, they're showing that certain diseases, certain chemical exposures, you know, two, three, four, five generations ago, produce definable diseases in the third, fourth, and fifth generation. I'm very grateful for and all as this. long as I'm working Great. out of the perceptual apparatus, thinking that my perception is showing me something that's true about how something outside of me is the problem, I'm in denial, and I dissociate from what I need to heal. That's the power of canceling a goal. Collapsing perception, the projection that perception shows me, and then by withdrawing the need to take this pain content in me into my brain's image of someone else or someone else's behavior or some circumstance, I now come into direct relationship with that circumstance. If love is present and breath is present when I'm doing that, whatever that is is going to heal instantly. No matter how big, no matter how traumatic, no matter how old. I want to... I wanna... I don't want to use up all our time because I want to leave time for the exercise that we came into this for. But, we got but time. I, but, yeah, it only takes it only take about three or four minutes. All right. With all of this set up, I want to address the atonement because you and Susan were talking about that. And it's like right. I, I long ago gave up the idea that somebody had to pay for my sins by suffering some kind of agony. But, but there was a purpose for him being there, and I sort of thought it was him being on the cross, to be specific, that I've kind of come to is so that he could demonstrate that even death can be overcome in the resurrection. But I think that in the context of the conversation, I, I, this is kind of the area where I'm just trying to grow. It's like I value for people it, when they, like I, like I sometimes go to a, a traditional church occasionally and this and that and where people are, are like okay jesus is saving me or he's helping me it's like it seems to me like there's a place for uh people at a certain level of understanding to and he, he was creating an opportunity for them to understand by turning to only by turning to our power, by turning to grace by turning to his assistance to raise all of the things that we talked about with uh, that that there's some dynamic there that's alive and and there's a, a space for the process and I just like to hear about that a little bit. Does that do I, do I being clear enough or my take? You know, to me in in the culture in churchianity there's this thing about jesus saves like he's going to fix it all for me and if you go back and listen to him he tells people there's a work to be done and they say too hard a saying i'm not i don't want to do that and so they go out and make this story up about he's going to do it for them for me 
what I find true for me personally is my deep, deep, deep appreciation for the fact that he understood it, brought forward the, the tools and the mechanism and the understanding for how to heal and handed it off to us. So in that sense, he does save us. I mean, I don't know anybody else that has the brain cells for, you know, where do you find this forgiveness process? You don't. And, and to me, that's the key and the core piece of the puzzle. And so in the sense that he said, okay, here's how it's done, and we build the brain cells to know what he was talking about originally in Aramaic rather than the Greek idea of he's taught us to let other people off the hook, then he, he brought the tools to earth for each and every person uh, to do whatever work they need to do. So in that sense, it's very accurate to say he saved us. He saved humanity. Because I don't know anywhere else on the planet you'll find that tool. And without that tool, people don't escape from their insanity. They just don't. Okay, and so can we add to that, that as in with, with the woman with the issue of blood, he can, when we ask, as she did, add reality to our situation. Like we could not. Say that again, your voice faded out again. Okay, so as in with the woman with the issue of the blood who, who came to him, and then, and, then, and then in our previous discussion, you said he added some of his vitality to her so that she could achieve that healing. Can, can that not be a part of the dynamic for people today as well, that they ask him oh, for absolutely. help? So he they said, can I'm heal? here. Yeah, he said, I'm here. Okay. I'm here to hold the space for you. Yes. I'm, I, you know, what I see is when he stands in the Garden of Gethsemane and they talk about he takes on the sins of the world, isn't like, oh, he's going to take on this burden and this load for everybody. He's no. He's saying, I'm going to open the energy window for all of this unresolved pain and suffering to be transmuted. I'm going to invite it to pass through me to the presence of love fully and heal for all of humanity. And, of course, you can't take away from somebody something that they're not willing to give up. So a lot of humanity is still holding on to it. Okay. So so humanity has to surrender it and then and do all these things that we talked about. I, I would like you to just expand on that statement. That, that, that felt really interesting. Like, okay, I'm, I mean, I want to understand that more. He said, I'm not, he said, that the words you used, the effect of he's going to, open the space for all this energy to move through. Can you expand on that? He's, my take would be he's going to be a conduit. Uh, I'll share, and we do, we've got about 10 minutes, so, but I'll share that about a year ago I was doing a still point session, and uh, I was breathing, you know, I'm laying down, my eyes are closed, and I'm breathing away, and all of a sudden I'm instructed to look downward. My eyes are closed. So I literally physically turn my eyeballs down (laughs) and I can see a vast field of darkness that is bigger than I could possibly describe. If I were going to say it's a field, I couldn't, I couldn't tell how many, you know, tens of thousands of miles wide and deep it was. And in that field were small lights an uncountable, unfathomable number of lights. Like, I can't count that high. I couldn't describe. It was just 
massive. And I asked, well, what is it that I'm looking at? And what I was told was, these are my generations and the suffering that they're carrying. And then I was told that they were asking me if I would assist in processing that darkness for them and with them, to which I replied, yes. And, you know, normally when I do a still point session, my phone is off. This particular day, I hadn't turned my phone off. And when I was asked that question, I answered it. I, I you know, I mean, you've done still point breathing. It's not something you normally do. But I answered it out loud. I spoke it out loud. Yes, I am willing to assist, to take on, to be a conduit, to be a vessel, to process all of this darkness. And literally, as I spoke those words, my phone rang. And I picked up my phone. And, you know, Michael J. is 42 at that point. And so it's my son on the phone. And we've never talked about our family system. You know, he's met my mother, had met my mother a few times. Um, when he was very young, he met my sisters and, and brother. And that's about all the connection he's had with my side of the family because we're down here and you know, my family's up in Canada. And uh, so he's on the phone and he says, hey, Dad, I'm on Ancestry.com and I need some information about our ancestors. So, you know, for me, that was verification that what had just happened to me, for me, was accurate. And taking on, choosing to be a, a vehicle of light to process the darkness of my generations. That, to me, is, was like how I came to understand what Yeshua was doing in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right, awesome. Okay, great. I was going to say, and I think each one of us choose to stand beside him and do that. Okay, so that was kind of a micro example of of what he was doing for all of humanity in the garden. And we can participate. That's very helpful stuff. And in the context of all that, do this exercise that we so let's let let's go move into letting go of attachment. So if there's anybody in the audience that you've got someone that you know can push your buttons, pull your chain, whatever way you you call it, bring your stuff up. Somebody can make you mad or make you sad, or, you know, all the all the language of the world that says it. The one of the reasons for that is because we're emotionally attached. Those energetic patterns are attached to that individual. And so this is an exercise for breaking those emotional attachments, not breaking relationship, not leaving relationship, but rather letting go of the emotional responses that keep us in unconsciousness. So it's a really simple process. I've seen it do some just, I've experienced it myself and seen it do some extremely profound things. You know, spouses, uh, former spouses and attachment to it that just keeps the energetic patterns going. And when people have done this, it's like the pattern's just gone. It's just finished. So I'm going to just direct you through it, and uh, I'm just going to ask you to just follow my directions, and, and when we do it, it's complete. It's, again, it's only about two minutes. 
So I'm going to ask you to just level your breath out, connect with your breath. And imagine that I have two pencils of light. And I want to use those pencils of light to direct you to the seat of the unconscious where these attachments can be broken. So I'm just going to ask you to sit, sit in a still place, close your eyes, and imagine that I'm there with you, and I'm going to place one of the lights right down to the very top of the crown chakra, the top of your head, the center of the head. So imagine I'm inserting that pencil of light into your head from the top, and then the second light I'm inserting right in through what people would call the third eye or the forehead, the center of the forehead. And imagine that where those two pencil tips of light meet, those two beams of light meet, is where you want to center your awareness. You want to focus there. Now, if that seems a little strange to you, take your left index finger and touch the back of your right hand and focus your awareness on the back of your right hand. Take your left index finger and tap your elbow and focus your awareness on your elbow. Take the same index finger and tap your right shoulder and focus on your right shoulder. So notice you can send your awareness to any one of those places. So now we want you to take your awareness to the place where the two pencil tips of light meet. And breathe. Just gently let your breath open as you focus there. And then whoever it is that you're going to release attachment to, you're addressing Rooka, you're asking for support here, and just verbally speak out loud, Rooka, I release all attachment to, and fill in the blank with the name that you're going to use. In your case, that would be Rooka, I release all attachments to Diane. And breathe. And notice what's happening in your body. For many people, there will be some tingling in the hands, the arms, and oftentimes the tingling in the head, the brain. So just breathe and be with the shift that takes place. And the show is about to cut us off, so Doug, maybe we can just complete share what unfolds in the next minute or two, in 10 or 20 or 30, and let us know tomorrow what happens. In the meantime, everybody, have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.